Hi, Chris. How are you? Hi, Rod. Yeah, all is well. Here we are. We're recording episode 91 a little bit early because one of us, me, is going on holiday um, and we wanted to get a show out next week. So this is being recorded on the 20th of October. Um, and if anybody knows there's some news that we hadn't picked up, it's because we recorded it, you know, four days earlier than we normally would. So if Apple do buy Nintendo over the weekend, then that's our bad and we have to pick it up when I'm back. Well, we can do what we can do. We've said it before. The most important thing is we get a show out. It may be that it sounds a little bit odd. We've had a few technical difficulties. We've had a lot of that recently, actually. And you may get one show of just me talking to you, the listeners, rather than Chris. Which I'm looking forward to. I'm curious to see what that's going to be like while I'm on holiday. So I think it'll be good. Uh, should we get straight into the news? Yeah, we have no follow-up, have we? No, because we're running a bit close together with our other show. Hopefully I'll have lots of follow-up of being on holiday using my devices abroad and entertaining my children on an aeroplane and, and what have you. So into the news then. So when we recorded back on Monday at the start of the week, we thought there might be an iPad event and we were, I was a little excited. You were very much not excited. And so Tuesday came and Tuesday went and Apple dropped one press release, which said they had a new pencil. And that was pretty much it, which was really disappointing because I was kind of hoping actually if there were some new iPads, because I want to get one for my son for Christmas, I was hoping, great, there'll be some new iPads. Either I can get me a new one or I can get a slightly older one, but a lot cheaper. And none of that was true. And they just gave us the new Apple Pencil, which is in addition to the two other Apple Pencils that have ever existed and are still for sale. So a bit of an odd message that. I think this is dreadful, actually. I mean, to be fair to Apple, they didn't announce anything. This is just the rumor mill saying there's going to be new iPads. And actually, when I look back through the news, there, nobody actually, well, there was only one report that there was going to be new iPads. One report from Mark Gurman was like, nope, definitely new iPads. There's only going to be a pencil. And then there was one that was, no, there's going to be nothing at all. So Gurman was right. Yeah, very bizarre. And I thought, there's no way Apple are just going to release a pencil. That seems an odd one. So I wouldn't have bet on it, but that's what they did. So what have they done then? So you've got the Apple Pencil 1, which is still for sale, and it's a light pencil, and you take a cap off the end and you plug it in the bottom of your iPad and it will charge. They then did the Apple Pencil 2, which is magnetic and charges through magnets on your iPad Pro, your iPad Air, and your iPad Mini that are currently for sale. And the reason they've now done this third pencil is it's USB-C. So rather than having a removable cap, you can slide the top cap up and plug it in to the USB-C charger, which comes with every iPad. So I think the Apple, the new Apple Pencil makes a lot of sense. It should have come out last year when they released the 10th gen iPad. And then they wouldn't have had this horrible USB-C to lightning adapter that comes to charge the first pencil. So I think the product on its own makes a lot of sense. It's just that Apple have done Apple and they've kept the Lightning one around and they've kept the Lightning iPad around. If they just deleted those two products from the lineup, their whole iPad lineup suddenly makes a lot more sense than what it did on Monday when we recorded our last. Yeah. I mean, I guess I struggle a little bit with iPads, but I won't retread that ground. This this pencil, which is cheaper than the previous two pencils and charges in a slightly more sensible way. I still think it would be better if all iPads charged magnetically by plonking them on the side, which even the iPad mini does, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. The iPad mini does, but that needs the pencil too. I think this pencil is perfectly fine. I've, I I think it's really good to see a pencil. It's, I'm going to say cheap, but it's it's still £80 here in the UK. So it's not that cheap, but I, I think they've done a great job with it. It looks great. It looks just like the second gen one, but it's got slightly less features with this uh, pressure sensitivity. 
and it's hit, you know, it's 50 pounds cheaper. It's a really good price point. So I think they've done a great job. With it. I think it would make a lot more sense if they tell the lightning pencil that just needs to be forgotten. And then this suddenly all makes a lot more sense. So no magnetic pairing storing. It becomes a problem. There is no pressure sensitivity on this, which you do get in the other pencils. Hmm. Still that much money. And you can't double tap to change tools and you can't have it engraved. So, well, but they're hitting a price point. I think this is the right trade-off for the price point because if, you, if you're going to want to do all the pro things, you're going to buy the pro pencil, aren't you, in essence, the more expensive pencil, and you're going to have more expensive iPad. This is the right price point for the base level iPad. What they need to do now is just delete the lightning piece, done. And this would make a lot more sense. But this leads into the second article we've linked to, that Apple has an obsolescence problem where they don't like to drop things out the line. I think as soon as they release this pencil, they should have cut any lightning iPads. I completely agree. They should have done it. I don't know why they haven't. Just to recap on what we've said, it doesn't charge magnetically, but you can store it magnetically. So apologies for that. So on most iPads, it will clip on, so that should alleviate the storage problem. I agree with you. They should just get rid of the lightning iPad, but I'm guessing they couldn't get the 10th gen iPad which is USB-C, to be a cheap enough point to then retire the ninth gen iPad. But as soon as they do that, this will all make way more sense and will be quite logical. Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. Yeah, an interesting sort of compromise for them. And it's worth reading uh, Jason Snell's article about obsolescence and things. And it's something we've touched on before is that they have this habit of keeping everything in the lineup and it becomes detrimental at a point. When you're looking at the iPhone SE, when you're looking at the original Lightning Pencil, when you're looking at other things like that, I feel that they've got a, they're beginning to have a real problem. I feel that Steve Jobs would have cut through this line like a dose of salts, frankly. Yeah, they were definitely a lot better in years gone by of just going, right, that's now dead to us. We're not going to be selling that old tech and we're just going to do the new thing. And if you go and buy the new thing today, you're, you're good, basically. But they just don't do that anymore. They just, they aren't as quick to get rid of things. We saw it with the um, Apple Watch Series 3, whereas they should have just cut that device because it just hung around for too long. And could you imagine being a salesperson in an Apple store and somebody comes in for a device that you know is obsolete, that's being left on the shelf far too long, isn't going to have as many software updates because it's going to get forgotten at some point. So I, I think they are holding on to some hardware far too long. And I know we want people to buy things and it lasts, say, for five to seven years, like we're talking about the the Google, I was going to say Nexus, but that's the wrong. The Google Pixel is going to be seven years. Nexus was the previous gen of phones. I just think they, they're leaving really old tech out for too long. It's not what we expect from Apple. Um, so yeah, I think once they do that, which I'm assuming will be within a year, it would make sense. But if you'd have asked me a year ago when they brought out the 10th gen iPad, I'd assume by now it would be hitting a price point that the 9th gen would have gone away. But sadly, that's not the case. So we have no new iPads this year and it's not looking like we're going to have any. Yeah, it's all a bit disappointing, to be honest with you. For an iPad fan, I'm disappointed. However, I'm feeling pretty pleased about my Kindle Scribe purchase now because nothing's come along and made me think I should have waited. That's fair enough. I mean, it feels to me like iPod, iPad owners are in the position that Mac owners were in not that very long ago when we had rubbish computers. They weren't updating them. We had terrible keyboards. I don't think any of the iPads are terrible, except maybe the Lightning one. But but you know what I mean? There's the, the, You're beginning to get a lot of delay between them introducing what I feel should be more coherent lineup. Great, you've got the pencil piece in place now. Get on and do the rest of it. Yeah, I think you're right. We're getting devices hanging around too long and you're getting lackluster updates. 
And so it just doesn't make for a very compelling experience, which the Mac did go through. We've come out of that with the Mac now and you've got some fantastic updates. So I'm hopeful there will be some fantastic updates coming. Uh, But they did launch uh, a new iPad in China. Did you see this? I did see this. A a very underwhelming announcement. Do you want to tell us about it? Yeah, my understanding was they just launched it so that it's got an eSIM capability in China. So it's an updated 10th gen iPad to USB-C and it now supports eSIM for the first time in China. So again, a bit of a nothing update, I guess, makes sense. I do think Apple is struggling a bit in China at the moment. That seems to be the impression that's come through because they're saying that the iPhone 15 is not selling very well. I guess they've had issues there with with lack of eSIM support. So hopefully they're trying to do something, but I do think they need to just harmonize all their product lines why aren't they just selling the same devices everywhere it would surely that makes a lot more sense because a lot of the standards are are the same a lot of the standards are the same i know there's governmental differences and potentially you know as we saw with the iphone 12 and french emission standards and all that kind of stuff for radiation that there are slight differences between countries but isn't that the point of standards standard kite marks like the ce mark and fcc in america and all the rest of it is as long as you do the bare minimum not the bare minimum but you achieve the requirements set out by those regulators you should just be able to sell. I mean, you said last week about one of our problems in the UK is we've been really rubbish at adopting eSIMs. Maybe the Chinese have been equally rubbish, or this is them only just getting on it now at a point where it makes sense to include an eSIM in a device. Yeah, and I guess in America, you, you can get millimeter wave on your new shiny iPhone, which we don't get here in the UK. So we get an old SIM card tray instead. For me, I want, I want that fast 5G millimeter wave. I don't want to have a SIM card tray. It, there's, there's more fragmentation in these little edge cases and it's something that apple's obviously got to try and walk the line with because they don't exclude a potential sale i guess i know millimeter wave is the new hotness in terms of what you can get in devices but it my impression of it is that you've got to be in very specific circumstances to get it and it's quite a high frequency thing so buildings and windows and stuff block it very simply so if you find the exact spot in a park or something like that you may get that amazing fast speed on your ipad um to download whatever it is you need to but you don't need to be very far away from it to start failing. Yeah, but I guess though over time that will improve. I mean, Apple have been shipping it for two, three years now, I think, if memory serves. So surely it's going to get more prevalent. And I hate buying stuff that's all the new stuff on it because one day I might actually keep my devices for quite a long period of time. You never know. Yeah, I seem to remember there being a, an event where the 5G was on every second slide, wasn't it? Yeah, that was awful. I do like a bit of 5G. I'd have been happy just to have blanket 4G everywhere, though, before we introduce a new frequency. But there you go. Uh, I think that's enough, though, on, on the iPad event in inverted. Uh, yeah, quite. So what's this then? We've got now iPhone 15 Pro Max users seeing ghostly OLED yes. operations. Sorry, I missed the last word. Yeah, so this is a is a iPad. My my words today. iPhone 15 Pro Max are apparently seeing ghostly OLED apparitions, which is maybe burn-in type things, which OLED was certainly thought to be at risk of in the early days of OLED. I've got an OLED TV. You've got an OLED TV. You know, when you had channels, they would always have their logo in the corner, like HBO or something like that. There was a concern that if you left it on that channel on Sky Sports in the corner of a bar day in, day out, you're going to have that burned into the OLED. This was a problem with LCD as well. Uh, So people are seeing this, potentially seeing this kind of thing on the iPhone 15 Pro Max. I haven't seen this. I don't have a Pro Max. I haven't seen it on my regular 15, but equally, I think I saw this mentioned in 17.1, which comes out next week. There will be a software update to prevent this. Yeah, I think this is a nothing compared to all the other gates we've got. I think OLED gate isn't one we're particularly need to get worried about. 
No, but we've got, I had a lot of gates this year and I think you've said it to me, we've had far more than what feels like other years, but hopefully all of them have come to a nothingness and we can move on. Yeah, I hope so, actually. It's beginning to feel like this isn't the greatest phone for me to have dove back into the new phone line. Yeah, I was thinking that after I sold my 14 and got the 15, but you know what? I've had none of these gates. I think the phone's fantastic. It's not worth going from the 14 Pro to the 15 Pro, but I had the opportunity to do it, so I did. But I think it's a fantastic phone. I've had no problems with it, so would recommend. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I haven't seen most of the issues. The overheating thing, when it's busy, it does definitely get hotter than my 13 Pro Max did. For me, I would say it's on a par with my 14. But we had different phones. I've got the smaller ones, so maybe there's different heat dissipation. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I've noticed it most recently today, actually. I was tethering my laptop, and man, my phone got hot. Well, yeah, because you're... you're you're connecting to cellular and doing a lot of downloading and then you're pushing that straight through Wi-Fi over to your laptop. So I'm, I'm not surprised by that, but um, I find the same in the car. If I'm doing maps, car play, charging, the phone just, it does get a little bit warm. Fair. Should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. What's Elon been up to? So a couple of stories for his Royal Muskness that we've got this week. The first one is if you want to join X or Zitter, as some people are calling now, which amuses me, I'm service known as Twitter, that in New Zealand and the Philippines, at least, you're going to have to fork over $1 for the privilege. So this is Elon thinking that charging a nominal amount of money will stop bots and spammers. So I don't really understand why Elon's so obsessed with bots and spammers, because I'm sure it was a problem before the acquisition, before Elon bought it. But it never really, nobody seemed to be making a big noise around it. But Elon seems to be only ever talking about bots and spammers. Do you not think? I do. And I just want to say that Spammers are a problem, but bots were actually quite a useful thing on Twitter. You know, when you get the ones that would notify you about problems on the M4 or UK Rainfall or one of the other bots that was actually a useful thing. You know, Slack, for example, stopped posting on Twitter Zitter this week, which was an automated thing to say when they had service outage problems. That is quite a useful feature to have on Twitter, you know, if you go if you go casting around. So his problem with bots is I've got issues with it to begin with that they can actually be beneficial, but spammers fair, but what's a dollar to a spammer? Yeah, quite. I just find this bizarre. And I think this is where Twitter was really good because you could get a feed from anywhere, whether it was your favorite podcast, having a new episode, some news on, on your favorite news service, some personalities you were following. You could bring all that together in one feed and it worked really well. And I don't know. We're just stepping away from the whole concept of what made Twitter great. And I know Twitter wasn't perfect, but it feels like we've gone so far the other way now. It's, oh, it's awful. We need a man with a red hat to make uh, Twitter great again. Oh, did I walk into that? I think I did. <laughs> you kind of did a little. Sorry. Apologies to everybody. I think let's stick with it and move on. So the second Twitter story uh, this week is apparently Elon is considering pulling the whole X slash Zitter slash Twitter thing from the EU because the EU are daring to look into their uh, reaction to uh, in incorrect hate speech, that kind of stuff, inappropriate material. So uh, what a four-year-old the man is. Yeah, this is just nuts. Again, it's a bit like with the bot thing. Instead of actually fixing it and coming up with a good solution, uh, let's just put up a wall and take it away. Um, I just, I don't really like how he, how he's coming about any of these things. And it amazes me that Tesla's done so well. And yet 
Twitter X seems to be having all these minor issues. It just seems very bizarre. Um, it's also interesting, obviously, that Elon's doing all the talking here, but their CEO, Linda Yaccarino, who I mentioned before on a podcast, didn't come across terribly well. It doesn't feel like she's running the show. It's very bizarre. Mm. I mean, it's quite an interesting article, if you read it, that's linked in the register, where Twitter has been given a deadline of October the 18th, so that's two days ago at the time of recording, to provide information on the activation and functioning of X's crisis response protocol. So that is if there's fake news coming around about, say, the awful attacks that are going on in Israel at the moment. How they respond to that, so they're classed as a very large platform by the EU, they need to have something in place to do that, and Elon can't be bothered replying. I very much suspect they're going to be, he's going to be in the same boat as Meta with the Threads app any moment now, and just be not allowed to uh, work in the EU anyway. Oh, I just don't like any of it. it. It just seems backwards to me. It kind of goes back to our point about Apple, just, you know, platform, system, hardware. How would you not make one universal that works everywhere? Yeah, I don't understand it. Very frustrating. I'm, I'm sad to see Twitter go down this. I'm, I've stopped using it entirely. So, and I'm not, I'm fairly confident I'm not alone there. Yeah, he's not been a breath of fresh air really, has he? No, part of me was hopeful that, something good might have happened because he has had some successes in life, obviously, to get to where he is. But it, for some reason, we just seem to be going backwards. I think there's always been signs that he's been a problematic character. I don't disagree with that statement. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, moving on. We talked about Nokia on this podcast how long ago now? I guess it's just over a year ago. We looked at the website to see if we could work out what they still did. Uh, we weren't sure, but it was quite a pretty website. And um, we've just seen Nokia about to sack 14,000 people. How many people do they have if they can let 14,000 people go? That's a lot of people. Ooh. Yeah, it's a 10 to 15% reduction. What are all these people doing? I don't know. What did Nokia do? I don't know. I know what Nokia used to do, but I literally don't understand them anymore. That's insane, isn't it? It really is. And if we were clear what they did... You know, if you go to Nokia.com, there's still Nokia phones, but I believe they're made under license for a company called HMD or something like that, and they're just Android smartphones. So well, there's a picture of an iPhone at the bottom of the homepage, so I'm very con confused. Their website does, kind of says they do lots of stuff, but nothing in equal measures. It's very bizarre. It is interesting when you go to the Nokia phone site. There's some fairly classic-looking non-smartphones on, on their site as well. So there's a Nokia 3310 for $59.99. Ooh. Have you not seen this? No, it might be. I'll put a link in the show notes to Nokia phones, which probably still run Android underneath it all. You just can't do an awful lot with it. I think you can text and make calls and that's about it. And, and I'm sure there is a market for, you know, a relatively simple phone, but crumbs just oh. well, feels bizarre. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you go to Nokia feature phones, yeah. oh, the, it's like going in a time warp. I think there's got to be a market for something like that. If you're a heavy iPad user, for example, and you just want your phone to be a phone or your laptop user, then something like this will do perfectly. My mother steadfastly refused to get any smart sort of smartphone. She wants something like this. She has some Chinese brand I've never heard of that's literally just a phone and you can do SMS with it. And I keep pointing out, but if you had a keyboard, you could type and actually make more sense. Nope, nope, not having it. Happy. You know, people, people want things like this. I could see there being a revolution where... People go, actually, do you know what? I do want to step away more and I don't want to be as interrupted and I am going to go backwards. I just think it just makes day-to-day -day life a lot harder for yourself, like trying to park your car, pay for things, etc. But I can see some of the appeal. Yeah, fair enough. Let's move on. So 
Next story, Google's 21-year deal with Apple is at the heart of a monopoly case. So we talked about this previously. This is Apple making Google the default search engine for all iDevices and, and Mac desktops. And it's just coming under increasing investigation for the, in part of the trial that it does look like this is a monopoly, which is a surprise to no one. Yeah, so this one keeps coming back around, doesn't it? It's like an evergreen story every couple of years. It raises its head. Um, it's clearly obviously worth a lot more to Apple than I think I had given them credit for. I said 18 to 20 billion pounds per annum, um, which is just huge. I, I get why Apple are defending it because it's so much money, but equally, they don't need all that money. They, I'm amazed they haven't had a plan to transition away. And, you know, you, you kind of want to run that one down and start bringing up another plan. And it feels to me like it's at odds with Apple's stance in the world, but yet it's an old deal that they've, yeah, obviously um, Eddie Q, their services VP has got some amazing bonus probably to it. Uh, so it does feel to me like this will have to end at some point, but then we've said the same about the app store monopoly and what have you. So it's just, a, I guess, a question for how long Apple can string it out for. Yeah, I agree. And it's just like our perennial Activision Blizzard story. It's probably one we'll just keep an eye on as the court case progresses. But interesting that the judge thinks that. Moving on, second Google story. And I think this was slightly more worrying, actually. People depend on Google search to surface genuine things to them. So this is a Google-hosted malvertising, try saying that after you with the wrong teeth in, which can lead to the fake KeePass site. So KeePass is an open source uh, password manager. I think I talked about it or mentioned them when you were doing your experiment in Apple Passwords. And this is just surfacing something that is a fake and a scam and could get all your passwords and details like that. But Google are authenticating it as if it's a real thing. This kind of thing is really worrying. No, I completely agree. Um, I must confess, I don't like the word malvertising. That does not roll off the tongue. Um, but if you look in the linked article, there's the screen grab of the malicious ad. It's very convincing. It looks really good. But it's clearly, obviously, not the right site. But they've done a fantastic job of it. Oh, it's just, yeah, my mate's Google hasn't got a bit more smarts on this. Maybe they take some of that 18 billion pounds to pay an Apple and put it into detecting fraudulent adverts. Yeah, I mean, we talked last week and we might talk again a little bit today about what makes a real photograph with all of Google's AI stuff and all the cleverness they've got and the ability to X people out of photographs by sort of smudging into them and all the rest of it. Apply a bit of that to this, please. Yeah, take some of that smarts and use it for some good. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, interesting story and be really careful where these the websites take you. Back in the day, we were talking about how behind Apple was falling in chips and one of the big wins for you and I as Mac owners at some point is when they switched to Intel. Uh, even despite all their stuff in the risk days of showing smoked guys in Intel bunny suits and all the stuff that they were doing back in the day, they jumped to Intel and everything was so much faster and we stopped saying things like, oh, isn't Safari so much faster this update? Because Intel did actually make everything faster. Well, since they switched to Apple Silicon, it seems like it's Intel that's falling further and further behind based on this article of the current latest generation of Intel chips, the Core i5 4600K and the Core i9 14900K. Big numbers, very small changes. They are not names that roll off the tongue, are they? I'm quite surprised by this because from what I was reading, that Intel, yep, Apple will beat us this time around, but we're going to come back and we've got some really great stuff in the works and we'll be off to the races. And then obviously they've come back and uh, they haven't managed to deliver on what they set out to deliver on. They're just not as competitive with Apple as they should be, considering this is literally their bread and butter. 
you know, Apple have stolen their lunch in public because there was a lot of Apple A chips in iPhones for years before Apple left Intel. And yet Intel didn't react to that that piece of the market changing quickly enough, I think. Um, similarly to looking at Nokia's website, I've just gone to Intel's website and you click on products. They got a lot of stuff on here, I must say. I don't think I quite realized how much they, they do do, if that makes sense. Obviously, I know, I know they make chips for servers and for um, laptops and PCs and, and what have you, but I forget they've got all the wireless stuff and they've got various bits of software, chipsets, memory. You know, there's a lot of peripheral stuff they do and obviously Thunderbolt's part of that. But it does feel like Intel's core of what made them, A, the big company that they are and, and their reputation, they have massively lost it in the very recent years but obviously like i said i think it'd been a long time coming and they just failed to react literally like in slow motion it's like that clip in austin powers where there's a steamroll about to hit somebody and they're going get out of the way get out of the way and the, and the guy doesn't move and it kind of feels like that with intel like they saw this coming the writing was on the wall for a long time yeah and they've been here before um, when amd sort of first came to market amd were eating their lunch to borrow an expression and they seem to get over that when the i generation and the core generation chips came along, which I think, speaking back to current events, was actually from one of Intel's Israeli development research and development areas that these chips came out of that and they simplified and they made things made more sensible and they got that big leap in speed again, uh, you know, and they were powering ahead. AMD have come back. They've got Apple challenging. They've got ARM chips challenging them. And I'm looking at the uh, it's a rock paper shotgun article, which is a gaming website, so they're absolutely going to push a chip to its limits. And look at the price of this Intel Core i5. So the only bit I do know about Intel Core chips is if it's got a K at the end, that's their super top end one that's unlocked and you can overclock it and you can liquid cool it and you can do all this kind of stuff as well. This chip on its own is 325 quid. No cooler, no motherboard, no nothing. That's quite a lot in this day and age. That's for the i5 version. The i9 version, which is their absolute top of the line, is 580 pounds. Wow, that is a lot of money just for a chip. So you can go and buy a Mac mini new from Apple for not much more than that. It's insane. Apple, to be fair, they are getting great performance out. But I guess though the Mac mini chip is not comparable um, to this chip because this is more of a pro chip, whereas Apple's ones run a lot cooler maybe? Well, they definitely run cooler and they've got the efficiency thing sorted out. I'd, I'd call this chip a gaming chip. But you still need to add a GPU to that. I mean, they have a certain amount of onboard GPU, but you're still adding like a, a big, hot, sweaty graphics card in alongside of that as well. So by the time you actually get this to something usable, all right, it's going to, in gaming senses, pee all over you know, any, any of the Apple chips, actually, including the ones we're in our laptops. They're not producing gaming capabilities at the same as something like this would. But this is vastly assisted by a super big NVIDIA graphic, gra uh, GPU or something like that. So I don't know it's comparing apples for apples. If what you want is a general purpose computer, Intel will sell you a chip for an awful lot cheaper than that. But it's still an awful lot of money for not a lot of increase. And we've said there's not a lot of increase between the M1 and M2 generations, but we're expecting another leap with the M3. Potentially. It's hard to know, isn't it? Because the M3 might be three nanometer as well, which will hopefully come next year. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. It, it does feel like Intel have lost its, they've lost its touch and they're, it doesn't feel like they're as close to the market as what they once were, if that makes sense. Because I think people just expect, you know, most chips just to perform really well these days for 90% of 
tasks required. I certainly see it in our workplace. We buy laptops, we keep them for about four years because actually the load we're putting through them today isn't that much different to what it was four years ago. There's a lot done on the cloud now. There's a lot less done locally. It's different depending on, on what your role is. You know, if you're using AutoCAD, then you probably do need a bigger machine that's replaced more frequently. But for general, I'm going to say office employees or, or managers, a regular device is fine. It runs Office, it runs Windows, and it runs web apps. And so I, I do wonder, actually, for most of Intel, whether they are missing their core market and really people just want massive efficiency and, and battery life, which Apple obviously have nailed. Yeah, and you see it with Chromebooks, don't you? You know, kids can go to school and university and do an awful lot with a fairly basic device. As long as it's got a fast internet connection and a decent web browser, you can do most of your job. Yeah, that's true. Well, all of my job's done in Safari, pretty much, because... Microsoft bring all email and, and everything to Safari. You can use it to edit, obviously, all your Word documents. And most cloud systems work in Safari. So, yeah, goes to show, doesn't it? Fair enough. Have you seen the plan for Amazon to deliver packages in the UK and Italy by drone? I'm seeing the plan. Yeah, I'm aware, I'm aware of this. I don't think I like it, but I guess it's better than cars driving all over the, the place. But surely, though, the joy of it, person in a van delivering parcels is they can take loads of parcels to the same street and be a bit more efficient whereas a drone surely is quite limited in what it can carry well i've seen the bigger ones that look a little more like trucks in the sense that they're like a pallet with multiple rotors on so it's not like a little camera drone type thing which is what we're probably more familiar of like a dji mavic or something like that that is designed for camera stuff these things genuinely look like a pallet that you'd see on the back of a truck with four rotors coming out of them or possibly more knowing the way drones work these days that can say, take more stuff at higher weight somewhere else so i've seen something like this used in the scottish islands for removing blood samples around so if you're in one of the sort of more remote islands and your closest hospital is a 20 minute ferry ride away you can put the pack the blood samples of the one person on the island and send it over to the mainland for testing and a drone is perfect for something like that it's quite light blood's not very heavy all the rest of it but amazon are a big company that are good at logistics you would have thought they've thought this through for how much stuff you can get on a pallet and i guess if you've got one central location for pick a number 1500 houses or something like that to and fro to and fro to and fro you charge up the batteries in between I, I'd be more worried about it landing on my grass and hitting the dog crap as it landed, frankly. You know, you've got to think about things like that. People throwing beer bottles at them, sitting on them when they arrive there. It's that kind of stuff that I think they probably need to worry about more than, or and injuring someone, you know, more, more than the logistics of, well, we've fired the delivery driver and who's, who's having to pee in a bottle, sort of get around in his rounds and all the rest of it. You know, but let, let's not kid ourselves about Amazon's um, ability to respect its workforce from all the stories we hear allegedly so you know there's a, there's a lot to think about within that yeah and i think uh where you're talking about uh blood delivery in the scottish highlands that makes a lot more sense to me you know you're going somewhere sparsely populated you've probably got to deliver something quite quickly you've got narrow roads it's not really built for mass transit so that makes a lot more sense to me than maybe using a drone in a, in a heavily populated area but i guess we need to see it in action and it does kind of make sense you know, there's a lot of free airspace, which I'm guessing these things can be used in. The roads are too congested, as we know. So it does make sense. But I guess I'm a little sceptical. So I'm curious to see. Because correct me if I'm wrong, though, isn't it? In Milton Keynes and I think maybe Cambridge here in the UK, they use some automated delivery wagons, I'm going to call them, to do something similar. But obviously, that's on ground. So I'm guessing they're using some of that 
technology and distribution mechanism, but they're now just going to fly it to you instead of drive along the, the pavement. There is a picture of the drone further down in the, in the Guardian article. It's linked to if any of you interested in what we're talking about. And I think it's going to be for smaller packages to begin with. Current drones in use do require dedicated landing pads and all the rest of it. And there is a, a, a small feature in UK law that is relevant where a, the drone needs to remain in line of sight of the operator at all times. That's going to be quite difficult in some parts of the UK. I just, yeah, I've still struggled to get my head around how this is actually going to scale and work and be more beneficial. I want it to work because it sounds cool, but I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just not sold. And I think we need to see more how this unfolds. Yeah, I'd agree. Anyway, it's interesting that, you know, we welcome our robot overlords if you're listening in the future. <laughs> Moving on, uh, we do like to dip into cars occasionally. And this is just, a, a, it's, it's a fun little article on a collaboration between Sony and Honda. Not the two most natural partners, I would have thought. Uh, on a an EV that's really quite impressive looking. There's a, a linked video in Japanese on YouTube that might be worth a look at. It's quite a nice looking car actually for a Honda, I gotta say. For they, they don't always make the best looking things. Honda Civic, current generation case in point. Um but yeah I think this is an interesting collaboration and I think it's good for two Japanese companies to come together. Sony that are good at electronics and all the rest of it and Honda Honda that have an amazing reputation for building fantastic vehicles. So I just thought it might be interesting. Yeah, no, I've had a look at this. I think it looks cool. It looks like a bit of a cross between a, a VW maybe and a Tesla or something. But actually, no, I think it looks good. And it seems like a natural pairing, like you say, you know, really robust car company pairing with a really robust, you know, electronics company that make electronics at scale. I think it looks kind of cool. It's You called it a lounge car, or the article did. It still looks more like a regular car on the inside than perhaps I was anticipating. I get there's lots of screens, but you get that in nearly every car now anyway. But I think it looks good. I'm curious to see yeah, what this will look like on the road. Yeah, I'll see what comes of it. And it'd be interesting to see more collaborations. Like Maybe this is the route Apple should have taken. They should have paired up with a big Detroit automaker or something like that to try and get their electronics into a vehicle rather than trying to do it all themselves and it being this mystery for years. I think they got uh, bitten by Motorola and the rock or phone. If you remember that, this, this predates the iPhone, post-iPod, pre-iPhone. Apple partnered with Motorola. They put the iTunes app on it, basically. It was not a great experience, but I wonder if that's hurt Apple ever since. And therefore, they thought they could build anything. And I, Apple probably could, but a car's quite a whole different suite of things to put together. There's a lot in there to do, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, very, it's a very different specialty. Yeah, and it depends. Are you replacing a car for a car or are you replacing a car with an automated car or, you know, you're really trying to make it different. So I wonder if we will ever see a proper story of what happened with Apple's car project because it's been rumoured for so long and nothing really tangible has ever leaked of what they were doing, where they were going with it. There's been like snippets, but there's never been, like I say, anything concrete. Yeah, we'll find out. Who knows, maybe one day they'll we'll go to a WWDC and they'll announce a car and an API for it. Well, now they've got the vision thingy out of the way. Why not? Yeah, we haven't had many stories on that, though, have we? No, true. It has been very quiet. And they're putting on more labs. I wonder if they've not had the developer engagement that they were expecting. Because with the watch, people rushed to develop for the watch. And it was very anticlimactic. And I wonder whether a few people have been burnt with that. So I wonder if they're actually doing a lot more on developer relations to engage and encourage and it's maybe been a bit of a harder sell than they'd anticipated fair should we do a couple of rumors yeah just quickly so i'd like this one a folding ipad maybe next year maybe the year after so 
the iPad lineup that we've already discussed is too complicated and they've got too many old models around. Wait till they add something new on the top end of it to, to make it more complicated. I'm well up for this. If I can't have my folding iPhone, I'll take a folding iPad. Obviously, it's devil's in the detail, but an iPad that folded out sounds pretty good on the face of it. What do you think? Yeah, I like this. And after a discussion last week about the new OnePlus phone, which I've seen Marcus Burnley uh, review since, actually, and he absolutely loved it. He has a problem with the price. $1,600 for a folding phone is an awful lot of money for a device. And he said, everything about this is good. You can barely see the crease in the screen now. The hinge feels solid. It's, lit- you know, the, the apps are well thought out for what appears on one screen or another. You could even have three apps running at the same time on the Android phone. It looked really, really good. Quite a compelling device. And he said, what puts it off is who's going to walk in and spend that much money on a phone that your average consumer doesn't know it's going to survive two million folds back into place. So I think Apple are quite sensible to wait, you know, to have these things ironed out. The crease is a massive problem, you know, for a lot of people as they look at a screen, you look at a slightly off angle and you can see that thing down the middle. So if they can release an iPad, fine in 2024, if that's what it takes to make sure the technology is robust enough and the first time you open it, it doesn't go sprawling. Marquez's phone had a dead pixel on the bottom of the screen, which he says he hasn't seen on a smartphone in a long time. And it's right at the bottom of the hinge. So you just wonder, despite how much better folding things have gotten, they're beginning to get cheaper. The more There's a Motorola Razor about to come out that's down around the $500 mark. That's getting to actually being of interest to consumers, I think. So if Apple can do this, make it robust, you know, make it reliable, make it so you're not worrying about little things like this, I'm all in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Can I have something a bit smaller in my bag, but then it opens out to be bigger when I want to use it? Like, it, it's going to be brilliant when it happens. Um, I'm assuming somewhere in um, Apple Park, there is a robot that's just opening and closing an iPad, you know, a screen of such, some description to test the robustness. Kind of reminds me of um, when you go to Ikea and they, they demonstrate something sitting in a chair repeatedly just to prove that their product's really robust. So they must be testing this. And I'm guessing either the, the hardware's not there yet or the software's not there yet for this to actually come to market. And, you know, Apple have got to be cautious on this. If they start releasing something with dead pixels and poor quality, that will tarnish them and they don't want to be bitten by that. And I think it has been a long time since we've bought anything with dead pixels in it from Apple. You know, they've come a long way with their display tech and they've got some really good display tech. So I'm not surprised we haven't seen anything folding from Apple yet, but it does feel Samsung have iterated, you know, five releases of the fold now. It does feel like we should be due something. And I'm curious to see where Apple go with it. Whether we'll get something next year, who knows? But whether it's the iPad or the phone, I'd, I'd like to see what they do with it and how, how it works, because I think that could be quite exciting. Yeah. And the Marquez videos in the show notes now for people. And similarly, AirTag 2 has been rumoured, expected to arrive in 2025. There's a little sort of surmising by 9to5Mac and what it might bring. The only thing I want from the AirTag is family sharing. So that if I'm sat in the car with somebody and they've got AirPods Pro on, I don't get notified that somebody's tracking me. Yeah, I can understand that. I don't think there's much they need to do to the AirTag 2. I think all the hubbub's died down now and, and it certainly feels a lot lot more settled. You have just reminded me though, I'm just going to make a note that I need to put my AirTag in my suitcase because I do do that when I go abroad so I can track my suitcase in the hold. Yep, I did it when I went to Milan last week. It worked great. We had a bunch of swag, for want of a better word, that we were taking to the stand we were going to have. So I put the tag in the bag so we could find out if it got lost in Schiphol or it got lost somewhere around the and it it notified me when I got off the plane that I'd left my bag behind, which was really nice. That's quite cool. Very cool. 
Just to finish in the news, I love a story about Excel, you know, as somebody who tries to stay away from Excel as much as possible. There's a little story from the Royal College of Anaesthetists, no less, via the register, about how their recruitment has been affected due to a, a national health service process that relied on a spreadsheet. So, and I'll just reveal this. The body responsible for recruitment, the Anaesthetic National Recruitment Office, ANRO, told all, all candidates for position in Wales they were unacceptable despite some of them achieving the highest interview scores. A subsequent significant incident review showed how seven differently formatted spreadsheets were combined into, into one using a manual process. Oh my gosh. So I've got thoughts. One, I think I've said it before, the person who invented Excel, and I can't remember his name now, but do you think they had any idea that 30 years later, they're going to literally be running the majority of organizations in the world? We all spend millions of pounds on these systems, these very clever databases and processes where you, you know, you, you put in the information your organization needs and you can run reports on it. But all anybody wants to do is take the data out of that system and play with it in Excel. Companies run off Excel, organizations, charities run off Excel. And it does scare me sometimes because obviously you can manipulate the data. That's the, the pro and the con of Excel in that you can, you know, do models on it and forecast it play with the numbers go oh just tweak that quantity there and, and see what the knock-on effect is maybe it's your sales forecast you know what happens if we sold one more unit per day or per month or whatever you're you're selling or we in, increased our price by two percent or our cost base moved by five percent you can model all that out but equally because it's so flexible you can also cause a lot of damage and this is obviously excel's biggest problem um is the damage it can cause if you pick up the wrong source or the wrong field or apply the wrong calculation so i don't think i'm surprised by this i'm amazed it's become the article it has but you can just see this in so many organizations somebody's misinterpreted a spreadsheet they've applied the wrong formula they didn't know where the source data was maybe they didn't update it because people run off excel on these gargantuan spreadsheets yeah i mean it's a real problem i know i won't go into details about it but there's some regulatory bodies that expect documents and data returned in excel and we have far better ways of doing that these days than than using and it is actually a dot xlsx or xls file not a csv or something more robust for actually the transmission of data yeah i got issues with this i quite like the quote at the bottom of this article this is from one of the doctors involved i'm no expert in hr software but i do know that manually copying and pasting from seven different excel sheets all laid out in different ways is bound to go wrong that's quite a quote yeah it's not good is it not good at all. Not good at all. Anyway, moving on. Uh, should we do some media? Media. What have we got in media? I don't think I've really got anything. Unless you want to hear more about what have I been watching? Bake Off. Welcome to Wrexham. Fantastic. MLS. So I'll hand over to you. Yeah, okay. So just a couple of quick stories. The first one is Flix have announced a price increase of up to 17% in their contracting and things. I don't think that's very good. That pushes them up to $25 in the States. The fact that they charge separately for HD content, I think they're the only network that do that. Amazon, will it's a flat fee. Disney, it's a flat fee. Netflix has these tiers, and I don't think it's very clever, really. So I saw a rash of people saying they're going to cancel Netflix. It made me think about it with the possible exception of something I'll talk about in a second, but I know you're not a Netflix subscriber. What do you think of this? Uh, I think I'm not surprised because we're seeing a lot of things increasing cost. For me, I think it just makes my stance right. I don't need Netflix 12 months of the year, but I probably do want Netflix, I don't know, say three months of the year. So for me, it probably makes sense for me to dip in and out when I want it. I'm probably the same with Disney Plus, but I generally buy Disney for the entire year because they do a discount if you buy 
12 months i think you pay the price of 10 months the netflix do anything like that but for me that i just don't have enough on netflix to watch every month and i'm quite happy just to let it brew for six to nine months and then I'll, like i say i'll buy it for a period of time i will definitely get it when drive to survive comes out which is the netflix formula one show and at the same time i'll watch a bunch of other stuff but i've got enough other things to watch that's keeping me more than engaged because um, i do pay for channel four here in the uk because you get rid of the ads i've got prime i've got disney and i've got apple tv plus which for me seems to give me enough of what what i need I do wonder how this will interact with things like I think Sky in the UK have a deal with Netflix that you get it for reduced or for free. So I wonder how those bundles will work out with sort of subscriptions and things like that if they're pushing the prices up. Will they just charge the providers like Sky more money in order to carry it? Uh, I would assume they've got a deal to bake in the cost at the time of people signing up. So I guess maybe new future signings will cost more, but maybe existing ones carry on until their their deal expires. I don't know. I did get it free through Sky, but I didn't use it enough. And I, I'm trying to reduce my monthly costs, not increase them at the moment. Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. I also think there's sort of a shiner in Netflix that, you know, traditional street media platforms think there's something cool about having Netflix. I'm not sure they've really got the content anymore. Again, with one proviso that I'll come back to. And The Witcher, of course. Yeah. I think that's a big thing. I think actually a lot of other platforms have caught up on the original content. Amazon's had some runaway hits. Disney have. And so I think other platforms have caught up on the original content. Obviously, Apple's whole stick is that it's all original. So I think Netflix has lost a little bit of the shine. And they don't obviously have as much back catalogue as they used to. Now there's more streaming services. So it's, I think they've carried on in the right guise of carrying on doing the original content. But like I say, for me, it's just not enough to, to have it for 12 months of the year. Yeah, fair enough. And just as a little addenda to that, uh, we talked on this show about six months ago when Apple were going to, uh, sorry, Netflix were going to cl- clamp down on people sharing passwords or continuing to watch media when they're at the house. I think the pe- picture I painted at the time was somebody who's on business, they're a traveling salesman, they go around the country, they've been away from their home address, and they won't let them watch their Netflix anymore because they've been out for more than 28 days. It's hit my daughter. She's been back at university for 29 days. She got a thing last night saying, sorry, you can't watch Netflix anymore. So what are you going to do? Are you going to be a nice dad and buy it for her? Or are you going to VPN her into your house somehow and let her watch? I don't know how this works. Well, the right answer for anybody who is interested in copyright who's listening is, of course, she's going to get her own subscription. But if it's going to go up to 25 quid in the UK for her of an HD stream, she ain't going to do that. She's a poor student. So I think she's going to do without. Which I've got little sympathy for, I think, because like I say, I do without Netflix and life's all right. Yeah, but you don't watch the Kardashians and all the various things that she watches. Yeah, I, that, that's why I don't mind not having it. So I'm all right with that. I'm not even sure if they're on Netflix, but there's a bunch of stuff she does like to watch. Well, your daughter's probably in the right demographic that Netflix is really targeted. They've generally gone for the that sort of the market, haven't they? Very much. So moving on, and this one affects Apple, as Apple had the contract for Jon Stewart, who was the late show, or the late, late show, I forget, with Jon Stewart. <clears throat> Yeah, one of those sounds about right. Yeah, which was a big deal when Apple managed to sign him after he finished that show because it was obviously a major television in America. He's run a number of documentaries called The Problem with Jon Stewart. It's been quite successful to my understanding, but they've actually decided to cut ties with him after this because he wants to talk about China and AI and Apple don't want him talking about that, so they've stopped his contract. I'm surprised by that because, to be fair to Apple, I think a lot of the shows Netflix have been... Um, Netflix on Apple TV Plus haven't necessarily aligned with Apple and their thinking, but yet 
they've they've run them, they've invested in them. So I'm surprised that they don't want John Stewart to talk about AI and things, but maybe they see that there are weakness here and it could actually run counter to them, I guess. I don't think it hurts a platform to have someone like John Stewart there talking to them. And it's something Netflix has struggled with as well. I don't know if the sort of chat show slash documentary format always works that well with streaming television because they date very quickly. But he's such a feature of late night American television for such a long time in the same way that if John John Oliver came to Apple now, that would be a big deal or if Netflix got him or if Amazon Prime did. So I don't think this puts Apple in a very good light that they're almost censoring. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. It's like they, they don't have to deal with with it once the show's been aired and then it might run counter to what they're doing with their main product lines, I guess. So it's a bit of a shame. Is Apple not necessarily living by their moral compass again? Yeah, I'd go with that. We see that a little bit, don't we? Anyway, worth highlighting. Last story and something I've actually managed to start watching. It's on Netflix. I saw a review in The Guardian for a show called Bodies with Stephen Graham. It's a murder mystery thing. The sort of hook is that a body is found, the same body, in the same street in London in three different time periods. So it's in 2023, it's in 1941, and it's in like 18-something. I forget what. I've only watched the first episode. But it's the same body and the same thing. So you get detectives from three ages starting to investigate this crime. And it's just, it's sounds like it should be a bit pulpy and rubbish, but it's really well done, and I'm, I'm, I'm immediately engaged. So almost as soon as we finish the podcast, I'm going to go and watch the second episode, I think. I'm really quite taken with it. Okay. It's quite an interesting concept, isn't it, I guess? It reminds me a little bit of Life on Mars kind of thing, of just that concept of going back in time. Interest, interesting watching the, the tray that I've got now shows it more in recent day, but um, maybe I need to let it play through a bit more. No, I think this one's quite a cool concept, actually. I wouldn't mind to check that out. Yeah, I think it's worth a look. And The Guardian gave it a glowing review. It was four or four and a half stars or something like that. As it goes on, it only gets better. And I agree, the hook at the end, I was like, ooh, didn't really see that coming. Makes sense, but didn't see it coming. Yeah, that's quite cool. Yeah, so you don't have Netflix, so too bad, but bodies. It can go on the long list. On the long list. Should we do a couple of games? Yeah, I'm quite interested in this first one. Well, I thought I'd let you comment on this one, really, but as the Switch fan. but So this is a story where the Switch 2 is looming, so we're expecting a Switch 2 announcement soon-ish. Nintendo being Nintendo will come whenever it comes. But there's a new Mario game, and actually it caught my attention. I Yeah, so Switch 2. I would be surprised if we saw anything this year, because why would you want it to get in the way of Christmas? You wouldn't. But they've they've got a whole plethora of games coming out recently we obviously had the the recent Zelda the Breath of Wild follow-up and then we've got a new Super Mario and to be fair this looks like good old Super Mario looks fantastic platformer and as I was looking at this it's called Super Mario Brothers Wonder it looks great I was debating do I want to take my Switch on holiday with me because one thing Nintendo do do on their store is you can buy it costs about 84 pounds in the UK and it basically allows you then to go and buy two 50 60 pound nintendo game so you, you buy you buy like two tokens and you get you can get two premium nintendo games a little bit cheaper that's sort of 40 pounds for a mario game seems quite a good price to me so i'm a little tempted to to pick this up if i'm honest the only reason i'm thinking i'm not going to take my switch is because my children will be with me and if i take one switch there will just be arguments but i think this looks awesome they've got some really good games i I did wonder whether Zelda was going to be their last game on the Switch and then it would just slowly just fade. So now I think this is really good and the Mario game does look fantastic. If you want a bit of, I say classic Mario, but obviously with a, with a slight 
take on it. It looks really good. So yeah, watch this space. Maybe I will just chuck my switch in at the last minute. Uh, I'll be interested. You didn't think about picking up the Steam Deck? Too big, dude. If you say so. I mean, I, to For be me- fair, yeah. To be fair, I leave mine behind a lot as well. For me, the Steam, and also I'm, I'm going on holiday more to get away from screens, but for me, the Steam Deck's more for a PC replacement that I can hook up to another monitor, whether it's in the house or in my shed. But the Switch, I've been playing a little bit. I've been playing quite too a little bit on the Switch lately, which I've been quite enjoying. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, I'm with you on this. I thought I quite like a side-scrolling Mario game. I like Mario Kart. So this caught my attention. I just thought, oh, I like the look of the graphics on that. It looks very classic Mario. All the reviews have been good. I'm with you. They've built quite a strong back catalogue throughout the Switch's life. And I presume all of these games will be available on the Switch too, which is hopefully a proper you know, 4K console at this stage with some decent graphics potential in it because the Xbox and PlayStation have really sort of shown it the way there. But that's fine. Nintendo have been more about playability than ultimate graphics and horsepower anyway, so that's okay. Yeah, to be fair to Nintendo, playability, fantastic. And it's amazing what they've managed to get out of a seven-year-old device you know, how they've really optimized the games to run on it. I think they've done a great job. And whoever came up, well, the team that came up with the whole Switch as a concept, fantastic. The only thing I'd look back and say is they probably didn't need to bother with the touchscreen because I don't think anybody ever really uses the touchscreen. They probably had too much in it of ways of controlling it. Most people just use the Joy-Cons as controllers. Very few people use any of the motion stuff that it does as well. Yep, fair. Moving on, and a slightly less cool story in the sense that, you know, arms manufacturers making deals with computer game uh, software developers is not a great look, but probably should be of no surprise to anyone. Uh, Remington, which was a company that made shotguns and other um, automatic weapons and things in the United States, made a deal with Activision Blizzard to feature their guns in the game in the hope that as children grew up, they would want guns they recognized from Call of Duty that they could go and buy in the shops. It does make sense. But very controversial, isn't it? You, you can understand the marketing premise of it, but not something that I would be a fan of, and I'm sure you're not either. Absolutely not. I, I play first-person shooters. I quite like realistic first-person shooters in as much as that's something recognisable. But the double-edged sword of that, another weapons metaphor, sorry, is that I don't like guns. I don't understand uh, Americans' fascination with having guns and, and, and all the rest of it. And it's written in the Constitution. That the, I'm not having a, an argument about the state of democracy in America or the United Kingdom or, or anything like that. I don't believe that the members of the public need gun, guns. I'm happy for the police force to have them. I'm happy for the army to have them, etc., etc. Planning ahead to have kids buy guns down the line by putting them in a game like Call of Duty strikes me as all kinds of wrong. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think our stance on actually guns is probably very similar. I like a first-person shooter. I've just been talking how I was playing Quake. I do quite like realistic ones. Obviously, my Switch won't run a realistic game, as, as we just discussed as well. But I'm completely with you on this. I'm not not keen on this as a concept. I and mean, Gun crime is a massive problem. This isn't going to help, is it, if it's too realistic and you're actually using it as a as a vehicle for somebody grows up. So, um, yeah, all kinds of wrong. Completely agree with you. Um, but I don't know how you stop that. Well, thankfully, the Remington Group seems to have been bought by somebody called the Freedom Group, which sounds even worse, actually, than the Remington Group. I don't like that either, particularly. But again, guns. I should probably stay away. I don't really know what I'm talking about. But I still enjoy a first-person shooter. I don't, research has shown that just because you play a first-person shooter, you're no, no more likely than the next person to go out and you know do anything particularly violent to anyone. But I don't like this glorification 
you know, of, of this kind of stuff outside of of a, what is just a harmless piece of fun in most cases. You know, people aren't looking at the Mar- Super Mario Wonder things. People aren't going to go out and pretend they're elephants, jump along platforms as a consequence of that. So, I, I'm not. I, I'm a bit uneasy about the whole thing. Yep, we are agreed on this one. A bit uneasy, but you can I, you can just imagine them in the boardroom talking about this as a marketing policy and going, "Yeah, oh, it's a brilliant idea." Yeah. So it's not right, is it? And Maybe that would change now Microsoft owned them, but who knows? We shall see. Uh, next story, and just a quick one. Uh, my youngest daughter is in school. She's doing media as an A-level. Um, she's been tasked with playing Tomb Raider or Rise of the Tomb Raider, uh, and they're going to write about that, and it's sort of evolution over time from, you may remember the PlayStation original Tomb Raider featuring Lara Croft and a lot of polygonal graphics as, as part of that and where it's developed to now and it's sort of the development of the character and is it misogynistic and all that kind of stuff as well. So it's just, it's on my list to add to my my, my Steam on my PC and on my Steam Deck that she plays these things. So Tomb Raider, the remade Tomb Raider, will work on the Steam Deck. Rise of the Tomb Raider won't, so I've installed one of each on, on the devices. Oh, okay, cool. I'd be interested to see what she makes of it. Yeah, I mean, she played a few computer games. She plays a lot. She played a lot of Minecraft growing up. She's played the odd bit of this and that. Her boyfriend at the moment is trying to get her to play Ghost Recon, Siege Ghost Recon. I think we played a sequel many moons ago on this podcast, actually. And that's not gone down so well. Less keen on a first-person shooter. So I'm really quite curious on what her take for Tomb Raider will be. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting. I used to quite like a Tomb Raider game, but I'm talking about the original from... Yeah, back in the late 90s, I think, was when I played it. Anything else in games? Have you got anything to report? No, sadly, there's been very little game activity in in our house in the last few days. Apologies. Moving on. Should we do a main show? Yeah, let's do a main show. So we were going to talk about the Amazon Day. So here in the UK, we had Amazon Prime Day. And I was looking for... Obviously, I did buy a Kindle just beforehand because they did some discounts, which I've spoken about before. Did you buy anything on the Amazon Prime Day? Not a thing. Yeah. Uh, so me neither. Actually, I didn't buy on the day, but I think a few days later, I actually picked up a couple of Miros smart plugs, and I've got one here because I wanted to try them out. I wanted to try out Matter smart plug. So I've got some some Eve Home smart plugs at the moment, which seem pretty good. They've been fairly reliable, but they're not Matter compliant. And I I wanted to do a bit more performance testing. Again, are they a lot quicker and all uh, and all of that? Whilst these plugs are small. I don't think I find any performance improvements. Um, they were very, they were quite cheap. I think it was about twenty pounds I paid for one of these. Um, but I've never bought any Miros stuff, so I wanted to try it out because I think your garage door is made by them, which I keep looking, at, but I haven't got the right power in the right place to do one of those garage door openers at the moment. But I wanted to try it out and see if the matter stuff was any quicker than just regular old home kit from from days of yore. So the plug is small, it's good, but doesn't seem any quicker. The bit that frustrated me more. It's probably took me five attempts to add the plug to my home and that bit still seems a little flaky. And then I still needed to install the Miros app so I could do firmware updates to the plug. Whereas I just want everything in HomeKit and I want it all just to work centrally. But other than that, that was it. Yeah, that is quite interesting. So I have got Miros stuff and it's M-E-R-O-S-S if if you're looking for it on Amazon uh, or, or anything like that. Uh, non-matter I bought them for Christmas tree lights and all that kind of stuff so I can set things to automate they were quite cheap I think they were less than £15 actually when I got them and for those not in the UK our plugs are a bit different to everybody else's they're not nice neat little two-prong things you can just stick in the wall they're very safe British standard things that have been around for a very long time so it's quite your, your range is a bit more limited than certainly in America from what I see what's available in smart plugs there 
They've been very good, actually. You know, they've just ticked ticked along. I haven't had any problems with them being slow in a non-masser form. And as you touched on there, my garage door opener is a Miros as well. The Wi-Fi standard's a bit old on it. I think it's only 2.4 uh, gigahertz. So it's the old the old standard, not a modern one. You can live with that. You want something that can get through walls and things like that uh, a little bit easily. The installation of that was super easy. If you've got a powered garage door opener, it is very easy to plug it, plumb it in, actually. I managed to do it myself with one quick look at the wiring diagram. And it's literally most modern garage doors. You'd open the circuit breaker uh, up in the same way you used to put um, speaker wire in speakers. You'd flip open one of them, poked a wire, and closed it again, positive, negative, off, off it went. So it wasn't very difficult to plug in. As you say, if there's no power near it, then that is more of a problem to actually power the device itself, but that's not insurmountable. Back to the plugs, though. The non-matter ones still work fine for me. I don't see any compelling reason to upgrade based on what you've just said. Yeah, I think that's my summary, is actually the matter ones don't offer much more over the regular home kit, and obviously matter is largely based upon home kit anyway. Um, but I think it's interesting, the Amazon Prime Day sale, which I was ready for, I wanted to pick up some bits for the children for Christmas, and I literally bought nothing because you end up price checking a few items. It's like, well, actually, it's cheaper just to leave it and wait. So, a bit disappointing. Yeah, i got to say, if you wanted a specific Amazon device, it's often worth waiting for Prime Day. If you want a Kindle or you want, what's that wonderful new Kindle you've got? The Kindle Scribe, which is why I waited, because I was looking beforehand, they had already advertised Prime Day, and I was like, I'm just going to wait is they did 20% off and 20% is a good that's a good saving it is or a kindle for the kids or a, a, an echo device or something like that it's the day to buy it on i presume your wonderful wi-fi euros were cheaper that day as well yeah i think so i've got plenty of them so i'm not really in the market for any euros for a few more years but yeah they do they do do some really good discounts i do like that with amazon on their own stuff you get some great discounts but you've got to be careful on other stuff because it shows it is cheaper but i use camel 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 and just price check the url you just paste the url in and it tells you a graph of when it's been at its lowest price which is fantastic fair enough yeah i don't have anything to add to that i'd I'd agree price check your stuff don't just default to buying it on amazon you will often find it for the same price or cheaper and you're not supporting always a massive corporate entity that's not always great for their employees as we said before moving on i want a very quick thought on apple maps is it good now I've been using an awful lot of Apple Apple Maps recently. As mentioned before, when I was in Canada earlier in the year, I used it almost exclusively, even in San Francisco. And to me, I see no benefit in switching to Google Maps now over Apple Maps. As soon as it added an offline mode, it had the last thing that it sort of really needed to have. That moment when you come out of the tube station, you don't know where you are, or the map's taking a while to load in, you don't know what direction you're pointing in, all that kind of stuff is solved by having a decent offline map, I find the transit is good. It works in Milan. I may not maintain a Google Maps install on my phone from this point. What's been your experience? So I was thinking about this the other day, actually. I think actually Apple Maps is pretty good. And I use it exclusively, largely because of the integration with CarPlay in my car and running on, on the heads-up display and screens. But quite a big but. It, does, it still doesn't have the alerts that Waze has. So I, I never really use Google Maps. So I either used Apple Maps or Waze. Waze for me is better in some ways because you get more notifications of speed cameras, more notifications of cars parked on the hard shoulder. Not that I've overly missed it, probably just the speed camera one, if I'm honest. But on the whole, I use Maps and I think it's pretty good. It does annoy me sometimes. I drive a similar route to work every Tuesday and Wednesday, and yet it always tries to take me a different way. And yet it knows my route. And 
you watch the time on it as you go past the junction where it wants you to turn right, you go straight on. And then the clock comes down by a couple of minutes because the way I want to go is two minutes quicker. And it's like, you know, I drive this route all the time. Why are you trying to get me to turn right and add two minutes, you know, take two minutes longer? So I do find that a little bit odd, some of its routing, but on the whole, I think it's very good. Oh, yeah, I'd go with that. Waze is a very dedicated to driving app, isn't it? Apple Maps is trying to be more of a generalist, although still no cycling directions, as we've talked about before. You can do reporting of hazards and things in the hard shoulder on Apple Maps. Off the top of my head, I don't know how, but I have accidentally triggered it before now. You're driving along and you can inform it of hazards and things like that. For driving, it should be able to surface that in the interface a little bit better. Yeah, so in CarPlay, I think you have to push the up arrow, click on report. I can't I can't quite remember the terminology, but it's something that Waze has just done so much better. Very just there on the screen all the time, not hidden really quick to do it and i think that's why Waze works better it's annoying that apple have still hidden that that piece away i wonder if Waze is long for this world it's owned by google it's one of their products that we we had a story a few months ago about and they got rid of some of the development team for Waze, and a lot of the functionality of it functionality of it has been now built into google maps proper so i just wonder if maybe it's days numbered yeah i kind of agree with you there I'm I'm amazed that they run Google Maps and Waze at the same time. Seems, it just seems typical Google. Got two things that do this similar jobs, but yet we haven't taken the made the effort to roll them into one. I find that very odd. Yeah, it is. Okay, I think that's we'll, we'll, Apple Maps is good now. I think is what we can do there. Tick. Yeah, it's good enough. Uh, it's what I recommend most people use. I think it's 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 pretty good. Waze is just. It's more if you want to know more hazards, more speed cameras, I think, if you want that bit on the top. Yeah. I will say Apple Maps in the UK has now, in Wales at least, recognised only 20 mile an hour speed limits as well. So that's nice. Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten about that. That's now a thing, isn't it? So um, I do find it funny uh, when I'm driving my car. Apple Maps will tell me the speed limit, say it's a 50 mile an hour zone. And my car will also read signs and tell me the speed limit. And sometimes Apple Maps is telling me one number and my car is telling me a different number, which I still find interesting. But obviously I know that the car's got one system and car plays a different one. But how many people know that they're two different things? Because it's like you can see two different clocks as well. You've got your car clock and then your phone clock that's on car play. So it is quite interesting that that sort of split system. And do most people realize that? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, fair play. You got a little story for us on handwriting recognition to text. Yeah, just briefly, we were talking about this on the Kindle Scribe. Maybe you should have put some follow up, but it's actually pretty good. Uh, I've not got the best handwriting in the world, but I've been quite impressed with when I've um, sent some of my notes to my email to copy and paste out later. Um, the handwriting to text is actually pretty good in Kindle Scribe. And I was thinking about this the other day. I was at a conference using my Kindle and I was taking notes. And I was actually quite impressed with what Amazon have provided. I know some updates this year, but for what is a version one product, the note taken on it's fantastic. It's got plenty of different paper types, notebooks. You've got the ability to export your text. It's just all really well done, I think, on the whole. I've got pencils and pens and markers and highlighters, rubbers, and I just think it's very good. So would, yeah, would 100% recommend the Kindle Scribe, if you want a device for reading a book and taking notes, it is obviously limited in what it does. Um, but I think it's fantastic. And I just, I was just impressed with what is probably a version 1.5 product because obviously they've had some software updates since it, it debuted a year ago. Fair enough. Were you going to report back on Microsoft Envision for us? Yes, I was. I apologize. I 
I completely had forgotten that I went out and spent the day at Microsoft Envision. So I've been to Microsoft Envision here in the UK. It was at the Excel Center, which is a gargantuan place for hosting many different conferences. And I went to Microsoft and I was there most of the day. Really, really good day. Great to go to a Microsoft event and basically see their AI offerings. And what they've basically been talking about here is Copilot. So Microsoft have got a number of Copilot services so you can get the microsoft 365 copilot with all your office tools and teams you can get one for dynamics for sales or for customer service they've got security copilots and it's really interesting microsoft's messaging here is they very much see this as a copilot this isn't a replacement for a person this is something that will help you as a person it's your copilot your colleague not a replacement that's their their key messaging i took away and what they're showing you here is if you didn't get to go to a meeting you can ask your, ask your co-pilot to summarize the meeting and the actions that were taken and who attended, and it, it will give that to you. When you're writing an email, you can have it formulate a response for you. And you can do it in your tone or in a formal tone. You can do it in in different ways. But the big thing that they're really pushing is it doesn't send the email for you. It will give you the text. You then have to proofread it, and then you send it. So like I say, it's doing a lot of work for you, and they really see it as removing... Uh, the mundane and dull tasks. So if you're in a conference call, having having a sales meeting, say, and somebody's got to write up the list of actions and then share that around, it will do it for you. Um, but you can proofread it and check it before it's sent out. So that that was their big, big sort of pitch that I took away from it. They talked a little bit on the coding side as well, about how you can use it to refactor your code and and do a lot of it for you. So you're, you're still the one driving but you don't have to do all the work yourself. That, that was how I was reading it. And like I said, they showed this on GitHub. They showed it in Office products. They've showed it in Dynamics. It was really quite interesting what they're doing with it. Is it going to change the world? And that's the bit I'm struggling with. Is it going to make a material impact if we were to deploy it in our company? And I haven't got to the, the answer to that yet, but it's certainly quite exciting some of the stuff they're doing with it and the way they've managed to productize it and get it out there. And I really like the way that they are pushing it as a co-pilot, like I say, is this, I was going to say this thing, this person, and this intelligence that will help you do your job, not replace you doing your job. It's not an automated thing, if that makes sense. So I would recommend, and look, at the end of the day, I got to actually see Sachin Nadella on stage and listen to him speak about the world and how they are taking AI. And, and they really have productized it in a way that normally Apple would do and bring a really complicated technology to mass market. I think Microsoft have done a fantastic job. There were some demos and some of the demos did not work 100%, which was quite interesting. And it, they handled it quite well. And they basically did highlight that a lot of these things are very new and it's a fast moving uh, ecosystem and not everything's going to be perfect. So it does feel like maybe they're a little early out the gates, but I guess they need to get it out into people's hands to see how people use it to then um, report back and, and, and you know, adjust and adapt to, to how it's going to be used in the marketplace. But I think they've done a great job with Bing as well, because you've got the co-pilot in Bing too. Um, and you've got Bing for personal, which is, you know, you can go and use it today, but everything you submit into it, it will keep. Whereas you know, they've got Bing Enterprise, which everything you submit into it stays within in, in your corporate environment, if that makes sense. So it's not going out into the open market. So I think they've done a great job with it. But I want to see, you know, if somebody has it, you know, in their Microsoft Office suite, you know, a year from now, are they using it every week? Or is it something that they use for a bit, with it, but then they just go back to work in their old way? How would you actually make somebody use and adopt these, these new ways of working? Yeah, that's interesting. It's a good summary of it. It does sound like, 
everything we've seen building up to this point in the media, they're just doing a demo on stage for that. So I guess for somebody who wasn't aware of all the changes that Chatty, Google Bard, Copilot were bringing, it's quite good to have that semi-practical, semi-scripted demonstration of what it can do without it being too threatening, I guess. You put the CEO out there, then it's, you know, it's an endorsement by Microsoft, isn't it? Of course it is, but yeah, interesting. I, I, I will be curious to see what happens in the next six months with this stuff. Will we just accept it as just another tool that we use or is it going to become... It was overblown, wasn't it, for how world-changing it was going to be, the fact you could run stuff through these large language models, as we talked about before. But yeah, well, fair play for going to see it. Yeah, and I think we've got to learn how to interrogate it as well and get the best from it. Like we do when we search Google or DuckDuckGo, we know what how to, how to put in. Usually less is more. Whereas from what I've been told, uh, when you're using a co-pilot, for example, you want to put be really verbose. Tell exactly what you want to do. Please can you make me a 10-slide presentation and do this and do that and do, 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 do. Um, and it can do that work for you. Equally with reports, you can use it to go, take out that pie chart and replace it with maybe summary text and pull in this. So I think it's quite cool because if you've got a vision, but maybe you don't know how to make that vision of a you know, reporting dashboard, you can tell it what you want and it will do it for you. So... I think there's some really cool tech here. I think it's going to take a little bit longer to bed down. And hopefully it is going to be a game changer. But I think there's, my view, a bit sceptical, I think, there's a little way to go yet, if that makes sense. But I do like how Microsoft have pitched it. I like the way they've integrated it. I think they've done a really good job, like I said, of productizing it and making it available to the masses. Like I say, which is normally something Apple's very good at. I think Microsoft have done a really good job. Good stuff. I just want to finish by pointing out that the Raspberry Pi Model 5 was released, or at least announced two weeks ago. It's a sort of double speed upgrade on what was in the Pi 4. It pretty much demands cooling now. The previous versions of the Pi, Pi 4 was on the edge. You could run as single board computers. It has video encoding at a dual HDMI output, so it could drive two screens. Not the fastest thing in the world, that's for sure. Great for sort of bringing early access robotics and things like that to market a Raspberry Pi, running a little server, ARM chips, very cool. You talked about your son learning a code um, with a Raspberry Pi, which we're going to revisit at some point, see how far you got with that. I run some of my internal services, so a VPN service, my home, I forget what it's called. It's not HomeKit, it's not HomeLab, it's HomeBridge, that's what it is, which integrates between Apple devices and everything else. So that's how I bring my security cameras and things in a HomeKit. Works flawlessly. And my PyHole, which is an ad blocking system that sits out there all in a Raspberry Pi 4. It's got plenty of headroom for that kind of stuff, but less so if you want to use it as a desktop computer replacement or for something like one of the servers that I run, like Plex or Jellyfin. It doesn't have the grunts for sort of transcoding to multiple devices. So I'm quite interested in the Pi 5. It's 89 quid for the 8 gigabyte model, I think. I'm, I hope they won't be as resource constrained as the 4s are, but it's just that it's out there and I'm quite interested. I like Raspberry Pi. Yeah, I think this looks looks great. I was just having a look through the article we've linked to. It's made in the UK as well. It's got the Welsh Dragon on the on the side of it. I, do you know where they're made? Yep, the old Sony factory in Bridget. Ah, there you go. So not a million miles away from yourself. I see what you mean about the uh, active cooling on it as well. Um, but what a great article. And it's got a really good story here. It's got all, all the bits you need. You know, there's a link to batteries, the cooling, um, OS at the bottom as well. So it feels like uh, Raspberry Pi have got a really good, story to tell here we've got you know new main piece of hardware new os or updated os should i say and here's all the additions you can get with it so really well thought out and i agree with you hopefully not a supply constraint as they have been yeah good device app of the week 
Go for it. So it's not an app. It's a YouTube channel. Uh, unfortunately, I've run out of apps of the week. Final Cut Pro, I've taken a sort of pause there while I recover from all my traveling and things like this. So this was just quite a chill little uh, YouTube thing that I came across. A guy who explains great works of art previously is a channel for that, Great Art Explained, and he's just started a Great Books Explained. So they're 15-minute YouTube videos on novels and, and great works of, of, of uh, art that you may have heard of, like Alice in Wonderland and James Joyce's Ulysses are the two that he's done so far. Just 15 minutes synopsis of what it is and what makes them great. It's very, very well done, and I just found it quite relaxing, and I'm quite interested to see what else comes down the road from this guy, because he's a very good podcaster, and I think Ulysses is a book I've tr- I've tried to start seven or eight times and never got anywhere with, so I found it fascinating for somebody else to break it down with. Yeah, I quite like the sound of this. I read a lot of books. So yeah, I'm super interested to see some more more come in here. Maybe books like say you've started but maybe not got far with or a book you've been curious about but actually never read. So yeah, no, it looks really good. Yeah. I, I like this as a as a thing of the week. Thank you. Well, that's I, I, app slash thing of the week for me. What's yours? Uh, mine's actually an audible book. So it's called Going Infinite. It's by Martin Lewis. And it's all about the FTX cryptocurrency exchange and the the company that were behind that and really the the main guy who you'd have seen in the news more recently sam bankman freed i actually quite enjoyed the book it told me a lot about that world and how they operated and used probability a lot to work out how much time to spend on things but for a company that wasn't running for very long just the sheer quantity of money they were getting through and things they were doing changing head office location how this guy worked i just found it really interesting uh obviously the book's not got a definitive conclusion it gets to a point, but the you know the the legalities are still going on. They're still in court, so it's not got closure, if that makes sense. Which is obviously the book can only write up to a point, but I do wonder whether maybe the book came out too early. But I found it really interesting. Great audible book. I enjoyed the narration of it. Yeah, just just would recommend. It's nice sometimes to listen to something different. I read a lot of fiction, but actually when I do audible, I quite like to do biographies or books around people you already know, if you know what I mean, because I find that easier to, to digest. So yeah, would recommend. Yeah, sounds good. I quite like this kind of thing too. Quite often they make good documentaries down the line, like our Blackberry movie we talked about a couple of weeks back. I can see an audible it's recommending to me. Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room, which was also a fascinating documentary and, and, and a good book too. So good recommendation. Um, and that's it for this week. So uh, if anybody wants to get in contact, Rod is at g5maniac at mastodon.scot. I'm at underscore cjp at mastodon.social. Or you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. No, I won't. You'll hear me next week. Next uh, week. Correct. I'll hear you next week. And then I'll be back in two. See you later. Cheers. Cheers.